Thank you, professor and students. I appreciate the message and music. Take your Bible, please, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And while you are turning to that passage of Scripture, I want to express my appreciation, Brother Chris Lebrun, for coming today and making this presentation. He brought me something, too. He brought me a pen. I don't know whether he knew about the fact that I collect pens or not. I didn't mean to become a collector of pens, but people have given them to me, and I have become a collector of pens. And so I have a number of beautiful ones, but none will be more precious than this because this pen is made from a tree at Washington on the Brazos to the south of us. Now, you probably don't know much about Washington on the Brazos, but if you're a Texan, you should be ashamed of yourselves for not knowing it because that was the first capital before anybody envisioned Austin. And it was also a prominent place for Baptist work. The church that is there from whose your yard this tree was taken that eventually made this pen. Uh, that was uh, uh, one of the earliest churches, if not the earliest church in the state of Texas. Sam Houston, uh, who was the president of uh, the Republic of Texas, uh, was uh, a wicked, wicked man. And he made a horrible mistake. He married a Baptist girl. And she prayed him into the kingdom of heaven. He was marvelously and wonderfully saved. Read the biography, The Raven. Uh, it's called The Raven. It's the story of Sam Houston. It reads like a, a piece of a, a novel. And uh, it will bless your soul. And uh, when Sam was baptized, somebody said to him a few days later, Hey, Sam, we hear you got all your sins washed away. And Sam thought about it for a moment. He said, then God helped the fish. And uh, so uh, their theology wasn't very good, but he had a good response to it. And uh, we thank God for uh, your coming today, for your work at the Baptist Journal Convention of Texas, uh, where my dad served for 14 years as the executive officer. And uh, thank you for all you do, Brother Chris. Thank you for coming today and making this presentation. My brother from South Africa, I can only say, I wish that we had traded places today. I wish you were here, and I wish I were in Johannesburg. Uh, one of my favorite haunts on the face of the earth. And uh, I love to go there. If they take you by my office, you'll feel right at home. But welcome to Southwestern. We are so grateful to have you here. The message today arises from the complaints of students. In the past few weeks, I have been accosted by a number of female students. They have said to me, Mr. President, what is wrong with the young men on this campus? And I have been curious about what they might find lacking in the young men on this campus. And they say that they are wimps. They indicate to me that they are intimidated around female students and that they will not ask them out and that they tend to avoid them. And uh, I was concerned about that until some of the young men came to me 
and said, Mr. President, what is wrong with the female students on this campus? And so I was curious and I said to him, I don't know, what do you think seems to be the problem? We don't know, but we've asked out one or two and they won't go. And uh, it was all strictly above board. We were just gonna go pray and drink coffee and, and they, they wouldn't go. And uh, so I was feeling particularly concerned about the single students on campus and I was approached by a married man and he said, we've got problems in our home. And I said, what is the nature of your problem? And he said, I'm married to a witch and uh, I cannot get any uh, happiness in the home on account of this. And I thought, I bet if I talked to your wife, I'd have an opinion about you too. But the fact of the matter is, marriage is in trouble. Have you noticed something else though? Have you noticed how many speakers come here to this chapel who are graduates of the school and say, I met my wife right over here on campus. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention was here and he told you that he met his wife here. Now, what's wrong with you folks? You need to get with it. First Peter chapter three, let's see what it says. Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they may without a word be won by the conduct, the anastrophe, we'll talk about that in a moment, of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely the outward arranging of the hair and the wearing of gold and the putting on of apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a meek and quiet of a meek and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. For in this manner, in former times, holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As for example, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Oh my goodness, if you do that and call him Lord, have catchers available to get him before he hits the floor, all right? Calling him Lord, whose daughters are you if you do so and are not afraid with any terror? Now six verses to the females and then one to the male. Ah, but you better listen to it. Husbands likewise dwell with them according to understanding or according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, if you will, just go ahead and put all of that up on the board there, on the screen, because we're gonna be referring to, to all of it as we move along. The sermon today is the most politically incorrect sermon you could possibly imagine. That will come as no surprise to most of you. I regularly do that. Everything I do is politically incorrect. What I do not accidentally do politically incorrect, I more often do purposefully. And I 
have a reason for it. It is true that the evangelical position regarding marriage is now politically incorrect. But while it is politically incorrect, it is the only position on marriage that works in a large percent of the cases. So if you want to be politically correct and have a miserable time in your marriage, go ahead. But if you want to be politically incorrect and do it God's way, the world may criticize it, but the end result will show itself to be the right way. And keep that in mind as we talk this morning. Now the question is, what can a young woman do to make herself attractive to the men? To make herself someone that they would want to possibly propose marriage to. Someone that they would want to spend a lifetime with. Peter addresses that by saying, first of all, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Look at that word, submissive, hupotasso. It comes from tithemi, to place, and hupo, under. Place yourself under your own husband. During the Korean War, there was a unit of soldiers that were pinned down in a foxhole. And the second lieutenant who was in charge of the group was not a particularly um, well-seasoned leader. And so they were taking fire and suddenly a corporal in the foxhole with them jumped up and said, charge. He made it two steps before he fell dead in his own blood. The fact of the matter is that if you have a military operation, you're going to have to have a leader. The fact that the second lieutenant happened to be the leader of that platoon did not make him a better man than any of the other men in the platoon. There may well have been others there in that foxhole who were better soldiers. Undoubtedly, there were probably some who were better men. This is not a question of who is best. It is a question of a God-appointed leadership. When the Bible says women be submissive to your own husband, it is not an invitation to become a wallflower. It does not mean that you lose your personality and that you submit to everything he says. If he says, get down on the floor and bark like a dog for your feeding, I certainly hope you will not do that. You may want to bite him like the dog does, but you don't want to do exactly that. Now, in just in case anybody has any questions about this, I don't think that Mrs. Patterson is particularly considered to be a passive uh, uh, type of individual. <laughs> I want you to notice the tie that I have on today. It is brilliantly taken to match everything, and it was my third try, she downed the first two and said they won't do. And it doesn't sound like to me she's been exactly passive in that regard. No, she understands the meaning of hupotasso. 
Uh, I'm not saying anything unkind about her when I tell you that she does not come to submission to her husband naturally. She is by nature a corporate executive. She could run anything in this world. I am unalterably convinced of that. She has become a submissive wife out of obedience to the command of God. Now, folks, I want you to notice that this is not something you have a choice on. If you are going to follow Jesus, you have to follow his word. And he says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. It doesn't mean he's always right. It doesn't mean that he is the king. It doesn't mean that he is the potentate who orders everybody to do everything. This is a matter of the heart. It's voluntary. He does not make you submit. The minute he does that, he has violated the word of God. This is something you choose to do, voluntarily submitting yourself under your own husband. Now, ladies, you may not realize it, but you give off an attitude when you're around these young men, and some of you give off the attitude that you intend to function as the queen of Sheba. Do not be surprised that he goes another direction or that he doesn't ask you out again. Be submissive to your own husbands and some, even in the case of marriage to unbelievers, they will obey the word without a single witness from the wife just because of, and look at this, the conduct of the wives. Now, the word conduct there, which occurs again in verse 2, is the word anastrophe. Anastrophe referred to the helmsman on a ship. The man who was back there at the back of the ship, whichever way he would turn the helm, that would be the indication of the way that the boat would go. The husband has the job of leadership, and so by her conduct, she follows his bidding. And so uh, by their conduct, they will be one when they observe. Now look at this next one, your chaste conduct. I suppose that while I'm always disappointed, I am never terribly surprised at questionable conduct on the part of men. What I have seen happening in the last five to 10 years that shocks me beyond any shadow of a doubt is the number of women that are looking at pornography. I wish the men didn't do it, but it strikes me as incredible that women would look at pornography when there is no case in the world that I can think of that is any more demeaning to women and any more unfair and unkind and abusive to women than pornography. Ladies, you don't want anything to do with that. A young man who is honestly thinking about his ministry and the future of the Lord wants chaste conduct on the part of the woman he marries. It is absolutely essential. Chaste conduct. Note it very carefully. Notice a third thing 
accompanied by fear. Fear of him, better not have any fear of him. No place a woman ought to feel more protected than by the side of her man. She ought to know that he will take care of her if it means the sacrifice of his own life. He'll never think a second thing about it. He'll never even consider it. It is done. It is, it is accomplished in his heart already. She ought to know that. She has no fear of him. But she does have fear of God. Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge. And a man may not even realize it, but he is looking for a girl that is characterized by the fear of God. So the fear of God. Well, not only that, but uh, do not let your adornment, uh, word is cosmeo there, which uh, has to do with the cosmos, has to do with all you do to adorn yourselves, merely outwardly, the arranging of the hair, wearing of gold, and putting on of apparel. Now, it doesn't mean those things are unimportant. Get that? Because if it's unimportant, then the putting on of apparel is mentioned in there. And so this means that if uh, all this is bad, that you would run around in the all together. And that's not what the preacher's saying here. He's not advocating that at all. You would draw some attention but it would not be a wholesome attention. And so uh, that's not what he's talking about. He says, don't let your beauty be found there. Because let me tell you what, in time, all that's gonna pass away anyway. And what can be left is the real beauty that you can have for your whole life. The beauty of a meek and a quiet spirit. Some of those beautiful women I have ever known have been in their 80s and 90s. And oh my goodness, when, when the things that Playboy counts as beautiful are long since gone, these women stand out in incredible beauty. And the reason they stand out in incredible beauty is because they have a meek and a quiet spirit. Alexander the Great, had a horse named Bucephalus. That horse was called a meek horse, but he wasn't meek like we think about meek. Everybody that tried to ride that horse got thrown. They used to have rodeo type adventure when they weren't fighting somebody and everybody would try to ride Alexander's horse. He pitched them all. And the only person who could get on his back and stay on his back was Alexander the Great, and he saved Alexander's life on many occasions. If you'd said to many people that that was a meek horse, they'd say, that's a wild horse. No, he was a meek horse because the word means perfectly controlled under the master's hand. Ladies, if you want somebody to notice you and ask you out for a date, let it be known by your actions that you are perfectly controlled by the master's hand. And they'll be lined up wanting to take you out. Not only that, but they're a quiet spirit. Oh my goodness. 
What in the world does that mean? Does that mean you just sit around and nod your head when you're spoken to? No, has nothing to do with that at all. This is a beautiful Greek word that again means controlled in speech. Your speech is controlled. You don't say things that just automatically irritate people. You don't say things that are designed to, uh, to cause the sides to develop. You are an advocate for that which is unifying. So a meek and a quiet spirit. And uh, uh, those are the kinds of attributes that a young man ought to be looking for. And ladies, let me tell you something. If those attributes are yours and the young man isn't interested in them, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Your father in heaven has had mercy on you by not giving you some galoot who will lord it over you and take advantage of you. If a man is interested in those kinds of traits, then he's a man you might be interested in. All right? All right, ladies, I've talked to you. Let me talk to the husbands for a moment. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them according to understanding or knowledge. Now, when a woman marries a man, she's just interested in a breadwinner, right? Somebody to bring home lots of money. Somebody that'll rise in the perspective of the people. Somebody that'll be a famous man. If you believe that, you ought to read the lives of the rich and the famous. No lives are more contorted than those. Again and again and again, the sorrows of death overflow those who are in that kind of situation. What you want to find, ladies, and men, what you ought to be if you want a woman to be interested in you, you want to be a person who is able to live with them according to knowledge. What kind of knowledge is it he's talking about there? The first thing is the knowledge of God's word. Because your wife, if you are a man who has a knowledge of God's word, is never gonna come to anybody and say, I'm worried about my husband, he is abusing me. He is beating me. He's taking advantage of me sexually. He is doing this, he's doing that, he's doing the other. That won't happen because you have saturated your heart and mind with the Word of God. I appreciate so much the emphasis of the, um, I hate to say this in front of him, but I appreciate the emphasis of our chaplain on campus who simply quotes Proverbs to everybody who comes in. And he keeps saying to our students, learn the book of Proverbs. Let me tell you what, men, you learn the book of Proverbs, you'll be able to live with a woman according to God's knowledge. But it also means according to your knowledge of her. You are with her enough that you can think her thoughts after her or even before her. You are with her a sufficient amount of time that she knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that you love her greatly. I don't know whether you know this or not. It costs me a lot of money. But I'm gone 110 days a year. I get on the airplane. It's terrible. Um, and I fall off somewhere. Now, as often as not, Mrs. Patterson comes along. 
And uh, I try every way that I can to make it possible for her to go. But if she is not with me, I call her every night of the world. Now, you, you say, well, why do you do that? You're only gone for one night, maybe. Yes, but I want her to know that she is first in my thought. And I want her to know that I'm being faithful to her. Now, I realize, of course, I could call her and still not be faithful to her. But there is a certain assurance that she has in the fact that I call her every night that she is foremost in my mind and heart. May recommend you do that. If you have to get a second job, pay your phone bill, it's all right, go ahead. Then you're a bivocational pastor. And uh, you support your phone bill to your wife, but you just let her know in all those little ways that you really are thinking about her and you love her. And we've been at this a lot of years, folks. We've been married 54 years and our marriage is not perfect because I'm in it. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm not extolling us other than to say that not only is our marriage 54 years uh, and counting, but I began with her when she was six years old. We picked her up along with her mother and little sister on the way after church. They were walking home to the funeral home. Her daddy was an undertaker. He'd had to leave church that day. And uh, she had long flowing platinum blonde hair and I couldn't help but notice. And so we took her home. When they got out of the car and went in, I said to my father, Dad, that's the girl I'm gonna marry. I was seven, she was six. I try to be a man of my word. I was infatuated her with her from the day I was six. Neither one of us ever had a date with anybody else. We literally grew up together. And then we said, when we get out of college, we'll get married. The end of freshman year, I said, no, it's gonna be after our junior year. And so after our sophomore year in college, we got married. <laughs> her daddy said, if you marry her, she's yours to take care of. I'm not gonna give you another red cent. And by the way, he didn't. Uh, he was not being mean. He believed that if a man's gonna marry a woman, he's responsible for her. And he wanted me to prove that I had that kind of responsibility. Now we suffered like all of you suffer. We didn't have anything. I'll never forget the night when at the end of three days of nothing to eat in the whole house, a deacon came by the house at 11 o'clock at night, and brought us a bowl of strawberries and a little bit of milk. That was the best meal I ever had in my life. We sat down and chowed down on strawberries and milk and thought that it saved our lives, but God provided all along through that time. And fact of the matter is, she knows that I know her and she knows me. We know each other better than any other two people we know on this earth. Live with her according to knowledge. Look at this, giving honor unto the weaker vessel. Now, the word weaker there refers to strength. She can't bench press as much as I can. 
And uh, so she's the weaker vessel. That's probably the only way she's weaker, but she is weaker in that regard. And so um, giving honor, word honor is temao in the Greek New Testament, and it refers to something precious. Now, gentlemen, if the woman you are about to marry has it in her mind, that becoming your wife will be like becoming a precious jewel, too expensive to be bought. A precious jewel that will be so precious to him that he will give everything in your behalf. Let me tell you what, gentlemen, that girl will be drawn to you because you are going to treat her as a precious jewel. That's the word used to describe a diamond or a sapphire or something like that. When I get ready to go out and lay brick, I don't wear my star sapphire ring. It's a precious ring, uh, the only precious stone I own. And so I don't wear it out like that. I take it off and, and if I wear any ring at all, I wear one, won't matter if it gets all scarred up. I treat that sapphire as though it were precious. I better treat my wife even more so, giving honor as to the weaker vessel. And finally, look at this. Finally, um, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, as you know, all evangelicals believe in masculine superiority. We all believe that women are second rate. Uh, we believe that uh, everybody ought to marry one if he can, but um, uh, they don't really count. That's what the press says we believe. That's not what a real evangelical believes. A real evangelical understands that a woman is every bit as important as a man. She is made in the imago dei just like man. She is uh, responsible before God just like a man. I emphasize to you that the Bible is the first book to argue for feminine equality with men. The fact that the man is given the responsibility of being the spiritual leader of the household is not an indictment against the woman. And wherever you find a genuinely happy Christian home, you will find a home where the man feels the equality that God gave to the woman, and the woman knows that she is equal to the man. And so, look here, they are heirs together of the grace of life. And finally, gentlemen, why are you to do that? You are to do that so that your prayers will not be hindered. Look at that word, hindered. That word is cup in the Greek New Testament, it means to chop down. How does God feel about a husband who is abusive in any way of his wife? How does God feel about a man who will take advantage of his wife in any way? God says, I'll tell you how I feel about it. I won't listen to you pray anymore. Your prayer is useless. I'm going to chop it down. I won't listen to it if you can't live with your wife according to knowledge. Oh my goodness. 
God is very serious about marriage. He planned it. He purposed it. I want to share with you one final text. Put that text up there, if you will. And I want you to see this one. Isaac came from the way of Bear Lahoy, and uh, he knelt. Uh, I can't read it that far. I'm going to get it open in my text here. You can see it up there. Uh, and I'll get a text that I can read here. Uh, so he came. Um, um, where is it? Uh, Isaac went out. Well, let's start down verse 61. Uh, then Rebekah and her maids rose, and they rode on camels and followed the man uh, that uh, uh, had been sent to uh, seek her hand for Isaac. And uh, Isaac came in the way of Beer Laharoi, for he dwelt in the south. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her uh, camel. For she said to her servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, That's my master. And so she took a veil and covered herself. Notice how circumspect she was in her dress. And learn something, ladies. In first place, the knees are the ugliest part of the human anatomy. Why do you want to show your ugliest part to everybody that comes along? I never figured out. Don't do it. Be um, very careful in your dress. And uh, so she took a veil and covered herself. And uh, the servant told Isaac all these things that he, that he had done. And then watch this verse. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. And there's an interesting addendum to it. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isn't that an interesting addendum to the passage? Now, he took Rebecca into his mother's tent. Folks, he wasn't just going to get acquainted. And uh, the Bible says that he loved her profoundly. And not only did he love her profoundly, but he found great comfort in her and she in him. Marriage is designed of God to be a little heaven on earth. When it becomes hell, it is intolerable. My class this semester, I have learned much from my students. I've had them doing an exercise on rock stars who died violently, often at their own hands. One thing has come out of it that I never thought about. As each student has given a report of a rock star who had money, who had fame, who had talent, who had everything in the world going for him, but he took his life. Something's come up a time and time and time again. Almost every one of them, with no exception, came from a broken home. You want to do that to your kids? You want to do that to your great-grandkids? We deal with it all the time. 
through the fundraising end of the school, if not otherwise, where we find families that want to do something for God, but they can't because of other family members who intervene in it. The families are at each other's throat. One of the saddest things I ever see. And I think back, and he was comforted by her after his mother's death. That's the way marriage ought to be. A little heaven on earth. Why not get to know as many members of the opposite gender as you can while you're here and see if you don't find one under the leadership of the Spirit of God who matches up to the biblical, biblical mandate for the man and for the woman. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our young people. We pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to live the life of marriage if you so give them that opportunity that will magnify you in their hearts and in their homes and in their churches. In Jesus' name, amen.